Good morning, ladies. It's so good to be with you this morning. Can we just take a minute and say thank you to the Cliffords for that incredible worship? It's so good to be together today. The sun is shining. I'm grateful. I get the privilege of continuing our So Love series on John 3.16, and I'm grateful to explore this pivotal part. He gave his one and only son. This statement is everything, but it's easy for us to gloss over its power, its vital importance, its eternal significance, and its divine intention for us. For those who are note takers and prefer a roadmap like me, thankfully we have one since we don't have slides this morning, here's where we're heading. We're going to take a look at a few special words in the John 3.16 passage, and then we're going to explore how God keeps his promises to us how he sacrificed everything for us, and how he loves us more than we can imagine. Let's dive right in by taking a look at the scripture the study is centered on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm a writer and an English major, so we have to start with a word study. The Apostle John uses the verb gave, which joined with the pronoun he, referring to God in Greek, is didomi. Didomi means to give, but it also means to bestow a gift. This is an important distinction because we know gifts are given out of generosity and they're different from transactions. We give gifts without the expectation of anything in return. And often we give gifts to those we love to express that love to them in some tangible way. I've been fortunate to receive many thoughtful, precious gifts in my life. You know the ones, the ones that bring tears to your eyes because they are so intentional and generous and special. I have to share one of my favorites with you this morning. I grew up going to church with my whole family, which included great-grandparents and grandparents, and that is a huge gift in and of itself. I was a busy kid, talkative, curious, and I definitely could never sit still. I was always eager to sing along with the hymns and the songs of worship, but once we started talking about the King James Bible verses, six-year-old me was a goner. Big church was a big stretch for me. One Sunday, when I was struggling to keep quiet at church with my grandma, she took off this beautiful ring. It was a gorgeous amethyst ring with a beautiful gold band, and she handed it to me. She was a world traveler, and she treated herself to this on a trip to Athens, Greece with her best friend. I still have never seen another one like it, and especially as a little girl, I was fascinated by it. She let me wear it the whole church service, and wouldn't you know, I could actually focus for a change. Not long before my grandmom died in 2020, I was visiting her, and she took me over to where she kept her jewelry in her bedroom. She had this little box all rubber banded together, on her nightstand, and inside it was this beautiful collection of rings that she'd collected her entire life, including this beautiful amethyst ring. She gave me those rings, the reminders of her travels all over the world, special birthday presents, gifts from her mom, even her wedding rings. I was stunned by her generosity and her trust in me with this cherished collection. These were hard won. And she had been careful and responsible so she could buy them all over the world. And now she gave them to me. That's didomi, bestowing a gift. 
a gift beyond measure, an undeserved gift. It comes from a posture of sacrifice, not of excess. And that's the difference between a gift and a transaction. Transactions involve getting something so we can receive something in return. Think about buying gas or groceries versus buying a Christmas present or a birthday gift. The intentions aren't the same, and they certainly don't make us feel the same way. The words one and only mean the only one of its kind, and in this context refer specifically to descendants, sons and daughters. They don't just mean a unique person, but one that is not replicable. I love how precise this language is in helping us get this crucial meaning. This short phrase packs so much into it. God gave us the gift of his only descendant, the only one of his kind, his son, Jesus. It's hard to wrap our minds around the depth of this gift, but scripture gives us some help in understanding it better. Our first point today for our note takers is God keeps his promises. He gave us his one and only son to keep his promise to us. To find evidence of this, let's go back to the beginning, the very beginning, Genesis. The book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, is traditionally attributed to Moses, to the people of Israel. Genesis is a record of God's creation of the universe and his desire for his children. It is our starting place when we open the Bible and often when we begin to study God's word and for good reason. Woven throughout Genesis is a beautiful, powerful thread. The thread of God's love, God's promises to us, his covenants with his people, and accounts of his faithfulness before our planet ever existed. As I was preparing for this message, the Holy Spirit kept nudging me back to one of the most challenging and powerful stories in the Bible, which is the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Abraham was a faithful, albeit fallible, servant of God who was married to Sarah, and they were unable to have children. When they were in their 80s and 90s, God appeared to them and told them they would be mother and father of many nations. He promised that Sarah would give birth to Isaac, through whom God would confirm this covenant with them. Think about this, ladies. They're in their 80s and 90s. They're praying for years for a child, and they're being told they would conceive. They're expecting this promise from God, and they've been waiting approximately 40 years at this point. Four, zero, 40. They're, they had to have had so many questions. How would this be possible in their old age? When would this promise come to be? The waiting had to have been unbearable at times. Abraham and Sarah laughed at God's plan and struggled to understand. I can certainly relate to that. But they trusted him. And we are told in Genesis 21 that Sarah gave birth to Isaac when Abraham was 100 years old. Isaac is tangible proof that God keeps his promises to us, no matter how long and winding and difficult the road is to navigate. When we want answers, God wants us to trust him and have faith in him. Abraham and Sarah did that, even in the most human way, and God gave them Isaac. Isaac's birth began the lineage that was as vast as stars in the sky. What an incredible, powerful way for God to remind us of his love and faithfulness. This context makes our foundational scripture for today that much more challenging for our human flesh to comprehend. Let's take a look at Genesis 22, verse 1. You can join me in your Bible since we don't have the slide. <laughs> Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Pause here with me. Can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine how you would feel if God asked you to sacrifice your treasured and beloved son, the son you'd prayed for for decades? I have a physical response every time I read this passage because it seems like such a horrible thing to face. I've always been astounded by Abraham's response to God when he called to him. In Hebrew, here I am is Hineni, and it signifies an absolute focus on God's desires for an individual. It's a posture of waiting for God's direction. It's like someone saying, I'm here to do whatever you want me to do, no matter the cost, without knowing what's next. That is absolute trust, and it's Abraham's response to God. That's not often our response to God when he calls us to do something, is it? And what about Sarah? As women, we have to wonder what she would have been thinking or feeling upon hearing this news from the God she loved and trusted. She had made mistakes in her life, as we all do, and she may have wondered if God was planning to take Isaac to punish her for those mistakes. Scholars speculate, and that's not a stretch for us to, to believe. We aren't told exactly what Abraham, what she was doing when Abraham set off with Isaac, his donkey, and his servants the next morning. But we can imagine our mama bear alarm bells would have been going off. We're told in Genesis 22, verse 6, that Abraham carried the fire and knife for the sacrifice himself. At the end of verse 7, Isaac asks Abraham a question. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. What could Abraham have been feeling in that moment? We know he loved Isaac deeply and went to incredible lengths for him already. We know he was faithful to God and trusted him completely. They continued until they got to the spot where God directed them, and Abraham prepared Isaac for sacrifice. But just as he was about to go through with it, God intervened. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. The language in this passage seems familiar to us if we spent any time in the Bible or in church. Lamb, sacrifice, one and only son. Why would God test Abraham's faith like this? The God of the Old Testament is the same God we worship and love today, but stories like this one can really challenge us. Genesis 22 shows us in an unforgettable way how far God will go to keep his promises to us. He was with Abraham every step he took, to Mount Moriah, and scholars believe that was the same region where Jesus was crucified nearly 2,000 years later. That's no coincidence. Abraham and Isaac's story parallels God, God's gift to us through Jesus, and this leads me to our second point. God gave us his one and only son to sacrifice everything for us. From the beginning of time, God's desire has always been for us to be in relationship with him, for us to live with him in eternity. He delights in us, his creation. His eternal plans for us are better than anything we can dream up here on earth. 
let's turn to the book of Romans and hear from Paul about God's gift to us through Jesus. This is the message translation. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by the means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel with the Romans. He's passionately sharing the shift in our hearts that's possible when we choose to follow Jesus. While we were sinners and of no use to him, God poured out his love by sacrificing his son. He chose Jesus for the crucifixion, so we have the gift of eternity with him. How do you live in light of this truth? How has your life expanded and deepened by choosing to follow Jesus? I'll be honest with you, this is a lot easier said than done most days. We can get busy and numb to the incredible gift of Jesus. We can lose sight of the depth of God's love for us. We have to constantly be reminded of this gift and of God's love and pray against the indifference that comes so naturally to us. Author of The Good and Beautiful God, James Bryan Smith, uses an incredible phrase to describe God's desire for our relationships with him. And it has stuck with me since I first read it. I am the one in whom God dwells and delights. We are those people, God's cherished creation, God's children, those in whom God dwells and delights those who are so loved that God gave it all for us. While I don't personally know sacrifice, like God experienced by choosing Jesus for the crucifixion, or that Jesus endured on the cross, I have experienced what it looks like to sacrifice my will in favor of God's will and to surrender in a way I've never experienced before. In 2020, my husband and I did IVF. We spent years struggling with infertility, seeing seeing many providers all over the metro, trying every kind of treatment you can imagine, and still we had no answers. We prayed many of the same prayers I'm sure Abraham and Sarah prayed, and I can certainly relate to their desperation and struggle. When we got the call about our embryos growing in the lab, we had five beautiful embryos, we were asked to know if we wanted to know if they were girls or boys. Um, Of course we wanted to know. Props to those of you who could wait, but we couldn't wait even when they were only five days old. We ended up having four girls and one little boy. Our sweet bear, short for Barrett, which means bear-like strength. We named him because of the strength he already had at five days old. He was our strongest embryo, advancing the fastest, and he was the first tangible promise God fulfilled for us. We'd prayed so long for our babies, and here he was, growing strong in front of our eyes. I remember driving home from our embryo transfer and thinking, thank you, God, for this miracle. Thank you for this moment and for however long we have him. I'm praying for a lifetime, but he's yours. I remember surrendering him in a way I've never surrendered anything before in my life. Our precious boy grew for 10 more days, and that was all the time we had with him. 
We loved him with our whole hearts, cared for him the best we could, and cherished every hour we had with him. God gave us the gift of this precious time together, and he gave us the gift of seeing our son grow, even if it was for so much less than we had hoped. He gave us the gift of knowing him, even just for a moment. He gave us the ultimate gift of knowing we will meet him someday, just like we will meet our daughters. God gave us these gifts and so many more because he first gave his son for us. A day doesn't go by that I don't think about that sacrifice, that undeserved gift, that boundless love, the gift of eternity together. So loved. We are so loved. Even when we're wondering how God's promises will be fulfilled, we are reminded he will always be faithful. Even when we stray from him, and we will, we are reminded he sacrificed it all for us. And even when we wonder or doubt, especially when we wonder or doubt, we are reminded of his endless love for us. And that leads me to my final point today. God gave us his one and only son because he loves us completely more than we can understand. As Lynn shared in her message, God loves us in a self-sacrificing way, agape love, the highest form of love we can possibly experience. It's the kind of love that lays down everything for us. It's the kind of love that dies a criminal's death on the cross. I think 1 John 4 verses 9 through 12 a letter from John to other Christians sums this up beautifully. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This letter is written by the same Apostle John who authored John 3.16, and he's referred to as the Apostle of Love or the Beloved Disciple. Love was something he deeply understood, and it's a clear theme throughout his letters. There's so much to unpack in 1 John, but what stands out to me in this passage is the constant heartbeat of God's love throughout. The word love is central to 1 John, and it appears 51 times. Eight of those are in this passage. God's perfect love is realized in Jesus, and he was sacrificed to solve the problem of sin. God created us because he loves us and because he desires a loving response from us. John reminds his readers here that God's love for us, not the other way around, demonstrates perfect self-sacrificing love alive in Jesus. God also created us to love one another, to share his love here on earth before we're reunited with him in heaven. You've experienced God's love in this way, I'm sure, probably here in your group many times. That's the phone call that comes right when you need it from the friend who feels prompted to check on you. It's the hug right after the bad news that you get that you haven't shared with anyone. God uses us to demonstrate his love to others like this all the time to help us feel his love in a new way. Isn't he good to us to do that? We get to experience eternity because of God's selfless, self-sacrificing love. Let's not lose sight of this gift and how we're called to live it out. As we wrap up today, 
I want to share a quote with you from philosopher, author, and theologian Dallas Willard on John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his son to that world, that those who put their confidence in him would not lead a miserable, failing existence, but have eternal life, which is the kind of life God has. God gave us the gift of his son, Jesus, so that we would not lead a miserable, failing existence the alternative in a life without relationship with God. But we get to experience the kind of life God has, eternal life, by choosing to follow Jesus. It's easy to lose sight of the ways God demonstrates his love to us. And it's also easy for us to forget the power of the gift of Jesus. Our lives get busy and we take our eyes off of what matters most in favor of what's in front of us right now. Maybe you're in a season of cherishing God's promises and thanking him for his faithfulness and love after a season of hardship. Maybe you're in a season, like me, of walking in the unknown and trusting in who God is, the God of promises, the God who loves us more than anything, the God who gave us Jesus. As you leave today, I encourage you to pause and reflect on these truths. God gave us his one and only son, to keep his promises to us. God gave us his one and only son to sacrifice everything for us. And God gave us his one and only son because he loves us completely. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We cannot fathom some such sacrifice. Thank you for your faithfulness and for keeping your promises to us. Thank you for not leaving us as you find us, for transforming us through your boundless love, and for continuing to demonstrate that love when we question or doubt. We are grateful, God, for your promises, for Jesus' sacrifice, and for your unending love. In your powerful name we pray, amen.